You're watching The Sports Objective, the podcast for Pirates. You're watching the Inside Slant on the Sports Objective. Over the next hour, the guys will be joined by play-by-play voices, beat writers, and other analysts from around the nation as they preview this weekend's college football action. Let's hear from you throughout the show via Facebook Live, on our YouTube channel, or on Twitter at the Sports OBJ. Now, here are the guys. It's Thursday night. That means it's the Inside Slant, a weekly college football preview as we bring you lots of great guests across the nation, beat writers, coaches, uh, would like to say players, but they're obviously getting ready for that. And uh, tonight's going to be an action-packed night. we got a couple of our old friends coming back. They're not old, but they've been with us for much of our time. And with us right now uh, from the Clemson SI, that would be none other than Will Vandervoort. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good, guys. Thanks for having me. Always fun to come on and, and talk football with you guys, man. It's always a blast. No doubt. In fact, uh, it's hard to believe that I was just thinking right before the show started, are we really like the season is going by so fast. We wait for it and wait for it and wait for it. Is it that way for Clemson fans down in your neck of the woods? We wait for it. And then the season feels like it's two or three games and not 12 or you guys have 14. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, sometimes when it gets to 14 and 15, it's, um, you know, and, and, and I've been fortunate that I went six straight years having that problem. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, it, it does seem a little long, and you're kind of worn down by mid-January when that national championship game comes. So I've been blessed. So I'm not complaining, uh, Dave. Don't, so just don't understand. I'm not complaining because you love covering a program that puts you in those situations, and you get to, to write those kind of stories and cover that kind of team. Um, but, yeah, it's crazy, man. I mean, time's flying. Yep, yeah, and – I was talking with uh, one of my buddies the other day about how we're already in week seven and, you know, the South Carolina game, which is Clemson's biggest uh, regular season game of the year. It's at the end of the year, the annual rivalry game. Um, You know, that's only a couple weeks away now, five weeks away. And as great as it is and how excited everybody in the state of South Carolina gets for that game, it also represents that it's the end of the regular season. So a lot of people get depressed too at the same time because they know college football season's wrapping up. Um, but, uh, you know, I think the Tigers got a chance this game this week with Syracuse. I know we're going to talk about it. I think if they can win this game, they have a chance to have one of those special seasons, I think, where, like you just mentioned, where they're going into week 14 or 15 and uh, maybe uh, getting an ch- opportunity to play for another national championship. So, We'll see, but uh, they gotta they gotta as Dabo likes to say, you get take it one game at a time, right? Oh yeah, I, I really see right now, and not to jinx you guys, but I, if I had to uh, say, I would think you guys would be at least a four seed. But we'll see how that that all plays out. And we were talking pre-show in the green room about the ACC football this year, and I know maybe I'm biased because I live in ACC country, even though we cover the American and obviously East Carolina, but we're very familiar with ACC and SEC. But it seems like to me that you guys in the ACC are, are very underrated. And it's like they kind of treat it like it's just Clemson and everybody else. When the reality is there's a lot the, there's a lot of teams that people are not paying attention to. You could start talking about Wake Forest. Um, you could start even Duke has been a good story this year. You look mm-hmm. at Wake Forest has been great again this year. You could pit. I mean, you could go on and on, on and on about how many great teams are in the ACC. Yeah, you know, you right now the uh, four teams in the ACC Atlantic Division, Clemson, Wake Forest, Syracuse, 
and NC State are all ranked in the top 25. And then North Carolina over on the coastal side is ranked. That's five teams. I think the ACC is second behind the SEC and ranked opponents right now. We're talking week seven, and you got five teams still ranked in the polls and uh, four teams from one division. The ACC Atlantic is the only division in all of college football to have four teams ranked in the current poll. Clemson's, the ACC Atlantic has more teams ranked than most conferences overall have teams ranked. That's correct. So you're correct on that there, it's from a national perspective. If this is the SEC that had four teams ranked, and I'm not trying to talk about the SEC, I'm more talking about the way the national media always is in love with the SEC, and that's not the SEC's fault. It's not the Big Ten's fault, but that's just the way it is. They they would just be like – it would be mentioned every second, right? I mean, it really would. And you don't get that. Like, for instance, when Clemson went six straight years, people probably don't know this. They went six, And this is why people don't know this. Clemson went six straight years to the college football playoff, right? Well, you know that part. But what nobody's told you is Clemson's the only team to ever to do that in the college football playoff era. Alabama didn't do it. Alabama only went five years in a row, and then they didn't go, and then they went last the last two years. So people don't mention that. Like you never – but if that was Alabama that had that streak of six consecutive times, you know it would be mentioned. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so it's like it is, the I think, the respect factor of the Atlantic Coast Conference that they everybody thinks of it as a basketball conference, and we understand that. But I think football has has really come up in the last 10 years in this conference. Now, last year wasn't a great year for the conference, and that probably hurt some. But for the most part, when you look at the last decade or so, the, the ACC has represented itself well on the big stage in a lot of different areas. You know, Florida State and Clemson have played for the national title a few times. They got three national titles between them. Well, that's more than anybody else not named Alabama. Right. Clemson's got the second most national championships of anybody else not named Alabama. And uh, but all we hear about is the SEC and the Big Ten and the Big Ten. You don't want to talk about overrated. The Big Ten, all we hear about is how great they are. They only got two teams that are really good. I mean, Penn State, let's be honest, they gave up 400 yards rushing last week. Do we really think Penn State is a top 10 team? No. They probably may be top 25 at the end of the year, but you're only going to have three teams. The entire conference, as good as everybody says it is, is only going to have three teams ranked at the end of the year when it's all said and done. That's going to be Ohio State, Michigan, and more. maybe Penn State. I, I still don't know how good Penn State really is because they can't run the football and they can't stop the run when they play a true run team. So how good are they in the trenches, right? So um, – and I, I hear it all the time. Like, Ohio State, people are like saying, Ohio State, oh, they're the best team. Maybe they are. But you know what, Dave? I don't know if they are. You know why? Because they ain't played nobody. Right. They've had they've played every game except one at home, and the one road game was to a horrible Michigan State team. So I know nothing about them, and their best win is against a Notre Dame team who just lost to Stanford and has lost to Marshall. You see my point? Like, yeah. how good is the Big Ten? You know, I think the SEC has kind of shown how good it is. I think the ACC has shown how good it is because they've gone on and won these games against other big, you know, Power Five conferences um, teams. Um, the Big Ten, though, is a joke in my opinion, and I, I hate hearing about how great the Big Ten is when they they the Big Ten champion Ohio State most years they get run out of the building by Clemson or Alabama. You know, what I'm saying in, in the big game, so. I'm tired of hearing about the Big Ten. The Big Ten is not that good. I don't know why everybody says it is. 
Well, I wanted to uh, mention, too, about the college football playoff, and then we're going to get to the big game. We're very excited about uh, Clemson-Syracuse, one of the games I'm going to be watching this week. Uh, but uh, let's talk about that because you were talking about the with conference championships. I really like the fact that they're going to incorporate every single conference champion in the upgrade, and hopefully it'll be 2024. I've been waiting for this moment for the, the college football playoff expansion because guys like you that are Clemson, you're still going to be ranked way high. It's not going to mm-hmm. hurt. It's not going to hurt Clemson. And I think there's a, a case that could be made if, say, if uh, hypothetically, if you have a team in the Coastal beat Clemson and Clemson has a remarkable year and loses that one game in the championship game, they should still be in in the in the college football playoff. So I'm happy that they have the six top rated conferences and the six at large because a team like Clemson, like again, if they had one loss in ACC championship, they shouldn't be punished and kicked out but you know for people to say the conference championships don't matter um i think that's a disrespect to your program and and clemson because you guys have won so many so all those conference championships don't matter i think they do matter and i I think (laughs) the conference championship games are great for not only programming for fans look at the city of charlotte um you know i could go on and on about why conference champion i didn't want to get off on that tangent but um i hear that all the time and it drives me crazy in the national media how Oh, it's not a big deal for a conference championship. I was like, well, when you have those teams like Clemson and they win the conference championship, they should be they they should have their ticket to the college football playoff. End of story. Yeah, no, you're you're right. Not, and when they expand it, like you said, that's probably going to be part of the deal, or at least uh, they're, they're going to try to make it part of the deal. Um, you know, I think it. You know, the college football playoff committee has said over and over again that that data point, in other words, playing that extra game means something and they really weigh that in when two teams are maybe you say equal and if it comes down to one played and won a conference championship the other one didn't then they're going to get that data points going to help them get over the top um and so yeah you know at clemson and i can't speak for all the other schools or whatever but i can only speak for at clemson and what Dabo does with his program and i think Dabo handles the championships uh and in, in what it means, ACC championship means to Clemson and the program as good as anybody um, around the country. Because when you hear Dabo talk, he'll never tell you. You'll never hear Dabo Sweeney say, our goal is to win a national championship. That will never come out of his mouth because that's not his goal. His goals are pretty set in stone, and they're, they're, they're all over the f- uh, football facility there. The number one goal is to win the first game. The number two goal is to win the division. The number three goal is to win the state championship against South Carolina. The number four goal is to win the um, ACC championship. And the number five goal is to just win your last game. Now, that doesn't mean if it's in the college football playoff. It doesn't mean if it's a national championship game. It doesn't mean if it's in a bowl game. He leaves that open. He doesn't. There's, so in Clemson's five goal, goals, national championship is not mentioned at all. Because his whole theory is this. If you take care of those first four, then you're going to have a chance on that last one. And that could mean you get an opportunity to win it all if it it comes down to it. But what he does by doing that, he really puts the emphasis on how important it is to win your conference championship. And that is an important element because without the ACC championship, more than likely you're not going to reach those other, that that main goal that you want to get to. Right. So that's why he emphasizes that ACC championship and why Clemson has, they won seven in a row 
uh, at that time, or six in a row, excuse me. They won six in a row, won seven overall since he's been the head coach. And uh, they're setting themselves up in position to win another one this year. Um, you know, they still got a lot of football left, but they're in pretty good shape right now. And if they win this game against Syracuse, they will almost punch their ticket to the ACC championship game, um, depending on what Wake Forest does. Let's uh, nice segue. Thank you, Will, for that. You s- set up nicely to talk about the game. I'm really uh, happy for Syracuse uh, and uh, Dino Babers. In fact, uh, I heard this morning, which is no no surprise, that if he hadn't had a good season this year, he was pretty much going to be another coach to be out the door. Mm-hmm. And um, he's had a nice season in uh, East Carolina. We used to always play Syracuse. It's a shame we don't have that team on the schedule anymore, but that's a whole other show, as they say. But we got used to knowing how good the Donovan McNabs way back in the day in the 90s. Oh, yeah. And how good a teams they used to have. And that's what I'm thinking about when I have Babers this year. Not that it's the same. It's a different era, of course, and different teams. But they should be good. And it's good to know that the program is, like, going to be going up against Clemson. And it's not like – I think Clemson obviously has more talent. And most likely I would put my money on Cle- – I'm not a betting man, but if I were, I'm going to put my money on Clemson. But it's not going to be – I don't think it's going to be a blowout where – in other words, for those of us that are college football fans, we're going to be tuned in because it's going to be an exciting game and not we're going to see, oh, yeah, Clemson's up by 20 or 30, so we're going to flip to another game. Yeah, the uh, the game's a sellout at Clemson, and the 81,000 or so that are going to be there on Saturday, they're not um, they're not coming because it's going to be a blowout. I'm sure they're thinking it's going to be a good game. That's homecoming, too, and that's got part of it. But I, But I think the main reason it's a sellout is because I think a lot of people – feel like it's going to be a good game. I think it has the potential to be a good game. Um, it, it, and I think Syracuse can keep it close. Um, I want to see how Syracuse – look, there's – there's. I think there's more question marks with Syracuse than Clemson because Clemson's played right in those games. It, you know, in other words, went to Wake Forest and played in a shootout and found a way to win, Right went back the next week and played in this slug match with NC State the next week after coming off that highway forest and found a way to win, you know, then going to Tallahassee last week and just punching Florida State in the nose after Florida State punched them a couple of times, just punched them in the nose and really delivered a knockout punch by the third quarter, you know, that kind of showed, okay, we know who Clemson is right now. I think we got a pretty good idea what this football team is. But Syracuse – they played an NC State team that, let's be honest, didn't have its quarterback. You know, I would love to see if Syracuse could beat Devin Leary in that NC State team. So oh. I don't know much about Syracuse there. They played Purdue, um, and they beat Purdue. And I give them credit for that because they found a way to win. So we know a little bit of something there. But they also, that defense, which is supposed to be really good, gave up 424 passing yards to yep. Purdue, who happens to be the best quarterback they've played to this point. And they, but they played them at home, so their tough, their only road game besides this one, Dave, is at UConn. Yeah, it, it's a UConn team that had only two thousand people in the stands. You know, there's going to be eighty thousand more people in the stands <laughs> Saturday when they play Clemson. So, how are they going to handle that first true road game? You know, and everybody's against you. And it's going to be a great environment. You know, I know, you know, a lot of people think, well, it's a noon kickoff. There could be some late stragglers. One thing I'll say about Clemson, man, and Clemson fans, and it's like when they played Wake Forest last year, if it's a noon game, they're there. 
they're there. They're ready to go. It isn't a dragging crowd where they're still, you know, maybe hung over from Friday night or something like that. Clemson fans, they're different. They're, they're one of those few fan bases around the country that they get jacked every Saturday. They're ready to go, whether it's a noon kickoff, a 3.30, or 8 o'clock kickoff. So I, I think the atmosphere is going to be pretty jacked, and they're going to be pretty loud and ready to go. And so how is Syracuse going to welcome that kind of crowd and handle it? They might come in there and handle it well. Dino Babers has gone in there with a, a team in 2018, right? And they nearly beat Clemson, you yeah. know. Um, they So they, they've, they, they have beat Clemson in the past. Back in 2017, he beat Clemson. So they, they, the program, the coaches, they know how to do it. They can tell their players, we can beat this team because we've done it before. You know, last year they were within three points of beating Clemson. Uh, their, their kicker missed two field goals in the fourth quarter, they, or they would have beaten Clemson last year. So there's the want to and the know-how. Now the, let's see if they actually can uh, because I'll just be honest, other than Purdue, you know, they really haven't been challenged to the sense of playing a team who's going to be as good as Clemson is with all of its weapons and all of its talent at the same time. You know what I'm saying? They haven't had to deal with that yet other than Purdue. Um, and, you know, you can make an argument they might they sh- probably should have lost that game to Purdue. But they did. They won it, and you give them credit for it. But I'm interested to see how they do on the road in that kind of environment against that kind of team. No question about it. It's going to be a great – I know it's going to be a great atmosphere for you guys being at home. In fact, uh, that's on my bucket list. I've never seen a game there in Death Valley, but I'll have to come there. And uh, maybe Bubba and I—I uh, I think Bubba's already been uh, there to the stadium. But we would—I uh, would love to see that. It'd be a lot of fun, especially now, uh, Dave. I have been to Death Valley, but it was actually not for a Clemson game. It was back oh, in 1995 for oh, a Carolina yeah. Carolina Panthers and okay. San Francisco 49ers game. I have been to Death Valley several other times, you know, when I've been in Clemson for baseball games against East Carolina, uh, and et cetera. But uh, uh, that's what I heard. But yeah, that's that's definitely uh, one of the as a college football fan on, on my bucket list, as well as a lot of other places. We got to make it here. happen, guys. Y'all got to y'all got to get up here. Sounds good. Um, we'll, def- we'll definitely take you up on that offer, Will. My my brother in law is an NC State fan, and. And one of his uh, friends, who's a who's a Clemson guy, uh, you know, put him up in, a, in some nice tickets um, for the game this year. So you know, he he came nice. to church on on Sunday. Obviously, he was sad about the result of the game, but he had nothing. But uh, he said, "Man, it's easy to see why they're so good with that atmosphere." Yeah, it was that game was one of the best atmospheres. You know, they did some things this past year. They put in that new scoreboard, video board. That's amazing. They added some LED lights and things like that. They did that kind of did it. They changed some things up. So yeah, they uh, the atmosphere has always been great at Clemson, but they did spruce it up even more. And that game that night was, you know, one of the best atmospheres I've seen for a Clemson home football game. Um, and I've been doing this for 18 years, you know. Um, so I've seen a lot of great games, a lot of game atmospheres, and that's probably my top five. It, it is without a doubt my top five. Talk about the uh, tailgating. That's something that's big at East Carolina. Obviously, our our fan base is very passionate about football and baseball for sure, as you know. But uh, what about the tailgating there in in Clemson? <laughs> it's at a it's at a different level, my friend. It's um so I was in Florida State last week, and so I was on a radio show, and they um it's called the Tiger pregame show, 
And so uh, they were, um, they asked me, Will, what is the atmosphere like there? And I got there about, this is about three o'clock. Okay. So I'm about five hours before kickoff. Um, and they said, what's the atmosphere like? There's a lot of tailgating, a lot of stuff going on. And guys, I kid you not, nobody was there. Wow. Nobody was there. I mean, it was, the parking lots were empty. Now, I'm being, there were some people there, but not like what you would think, right? right. Not like what I've seen at Clemson. I mean, if Clemson's playing an 8 o'clock game at night, guys, they open up the parking lots at 8 o'clock in the morning. So pe- wow. and people are already pulling in at 8 o'clock in the morning at Clemson to tailgate all day. They come on Thursday nights. They have the RVs. See? The RVs come on Thursday nights, and they're there Thursday and Friday, and they stay all day Saturday. Um, you know, I mean, Clemson just – it's 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 like wall-to-wall. Clemson's got a lot of grass areas, and that helps and stuff like that. So when you pull in off, when you're pulling over, coming near what they call perimeter road, which is takes you around the baseball stadium and the football stadium and basketball arena and all that, the athletic um, campus part of campus. When you pull in there, when you get right to that edge, right where the baseball stadium is, and Bubba, you would probably know since you've been to a lot of games at Doug Kingsmore, there, you know, that area where that real grassy knoll is down there, that place is packed shoulder to shoulder. I don't know how they get their trucks in there. I mean, and people are just slammed in there. And then you follow that all the way around and around the stadium. And I kid you not, each side of the stadium, it's just packed. And just, I mean, like on a game like that NC State game you talk about, there was 250,000 people in Clemson and only 80,000 got in the stadium. So there's like 100,000 people or more. And I kid you not, that are sitting outside the stadium tailgating and don't get in. They just come for the tailgate and they watch the game on TV out in the parking lot. That sounds like a NASCAR fans. <laughs> they are. It's 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 amazing to to, to witness it, and um, that's why I get to games early. I always get in the press box three hours early because if you try to come two hours, you you may get stuck in traffic, and it's it's a mess because there's yeah. going to be a lot of people there. In fact, Bubba, that's what I was going to mention is that I know Alabama does that. Where Friday Friday home games Fridays, uh, for as far as campus is concerned, they have no classes. On in Alabama, and I've been talking about our fan base. Uh, we have a lot of people that have the RVs, and we have uh, that's another revenue stream for our pirate club that I've been mentioning. Uh, Will and I didn't know you guys, I'm glad to know that, but I'm trying to tell them if you want to be like the big boys, you got to do the things that, like the big boys do. And and we have a fan base that's so passionate, Will. They would stay there, uh, probably they, they would park their RVs year round or, or definitely football season. I mean, they're. About by my line about that. I mean, we 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 even tailgate hard at football season. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's something that's pretty surprising. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Yeah, yeah we got you, Bubba. Okay. All right. Something that's pretty surprising is that East Carolina and Clemson, um, despite having played, you know, in men's basketball and baseball, you no know, no further than the two programs are apart, um, that they've never met on the gridiron. It is and, crazy as much as East Carolina and South Carolina have played down through the years, which is, you know, probably at least 15 to 20 times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, that, that, that's crazy. That's crazy. But Dave, very quickly, since you referenced the pirate club, this is something I don't think we've ever really talked to will about. And this is something, oh, yeah. that, something, something you could talk about for quite a while, but uh, you know, just we'll scratch the surface with it tonight. You know, Talk about the last 10 to 15 years, um, you know, since Clemson has really been rolling. 
and you know winning national championships, playing for national championships, and so forth. The success of the Iptake Club, just you know, how much money is being raised annually, and then uh, and just give us a glimpse behind the scenes there. Yeah. So um, let me see. So I want to make sure I'm right. That I think I'm right in saying this. Don't hold me to it, but I believe last year or the last time it was reported, I want to say Clemson reported over $50 million with the IPTA club. Um, And that's why when you look at the television numbers, the ACC, you know, it's not up there with the SEC and stuff, right? And it's been hard for the ACC in some instances to to compete against the SEC because of that television dollars they get. Well, Clemson has been able to counter it because Clemson – just their IPTA club makes a whole lot more money, you know, than most other schools make with their booster club organization. And I mean, Clemson people are amazing. And here's the amazing stat about that. There's no doctors or lawyers at Clemson. Their graduates are engineers um, and then um, architects and farmers. Okay. I mean, that's the majority of Clemson's graduates, guys. Um, you know, and so it's not like that's a big donor base where you can go pull millions of dollars here, you would think, right? But they just do it the right way. And of course, so people know what IPTA stands for. It was the first ever booster club organization in the country. That means high school, too. Clemson was the very first one. It, it happened in 1934, and it's, it, it was called I Pay $10 a Year is what IPTA stands for. And um, so that's obviously ballooned into, you know, way more than I pay $10 a year. But, you know, they've um, they've done a great job with them, um, just what the annual fund is, what they call it, um, and how much they raise each year. And that allows Clemson to stay competitive. So when Clemson gets $38 million from the ACC and their television revenue sharing, and then you add on that $50 million, well, Clemson now is in a neighborhood where they're competing, and that allows them to help them compete against South Carolina, who may be getting, at least on the last contract, they were getting like $65 million, right, or somewhere in that nature. And so they were getting way, you know, but their their fund, their annual fund isn't even close to Clemson's. I mean, it's not even near it. So uh, Clemson's able to compete against those SEC schools because of that. And then that's allowed Clemson to say, we're going to make a commitment to football. Now, Clemson has been straight up with that. They said they've committed to football. Now, they've committed to the other sports, too. Y'all guys seen what they've done with basketball with Little John Coliseum. You've seen what they've done with Doug Kingsmore Stadium, the baseball. And, you know, they brought their softball, new softball field. Uh, teams come in and right away has competed. So they're putting funds there, too, and competing with those. But they know, and I've talked to Graham Neff about this, the athletic director, they know if you want to compete in these other sports and be good, and get to the NCAA tournaments and things like that, and put yourself in position. You have to be great in football. Yes, and and, and you so you got to put that money first toward football and build football up because football will take care of those other sports with funding and things like that and help them get to where they can be competitive. It all kind of works hand in hand, but it starts with football and Clemson and Graham Neff and those guys. And it started with Dan Radakovich and Terry Don Phillips. You know. The best story, and I'll get out with this real fast. The best story was Dabo Sweeney, when he was the interim head coach, he went in to do the interview with the board of directors, the board of trustees at Clemson. And they told Dabo, they said in the interview, we want to be more like the Georgias 
the Alabamas, the Ohio States, and Michigans. Dabo says, well, if that's what you want, I'm not your guy. And they looked at him like, what? He says, Clemson is good enough to where people will want to be Clemson than Clemson wanting to be other people. He's like, we can just be Clemson. He's like, we can do it on our own. We don't have to be those other schools. We can do it ourselves and do it our own way. And then people will want to be like us. Exactly. That's what we need to be. And that's why they hired Dabo Sweeney right there. <laughs> so, And Clemson has done it. They've done it their own way. And Ipte has been a, played a big role in that. And then Clemson's commitment to football. And it starts with the president, the athletic director, to the football coach. They all got to be on the same page, all three guys. No doubt about it. In fact, our uh, budget, Bubba, I believe is – for the whole athletic program at East Carolina is 44 million. And I've often said that speaking of Lipte, that the biggest donor base that we have at our university is people that take showers after work. People like you talk about blue collar people in Eastern North Carolina, for example, and beyond, they can easily give the hundred dollars a month. I mean, hundred dollars, mm-hmm. that would be nice. hundred dollars a year, 120 a year. Those hundred to $500 donors is where um, not to get off on a tangent, um, because we want to talk more about the game. But I really feel like that that's uh, a testament to you guys uh, to show that, like we talked about the RV parking earlier, a lot of ways that we could make more money that mm-hmm. we're not doing. But we'll save that for another show outside of uh, the college. Football. You do it with parking and season tickets. That's what Clemson does. But So Clemson's got 57,000 season tickets are sold each year. Wow. Um, you know, so, you know, that's one of the highest in the country you know, for a season ticket base, you know. And so when you're putting almost that 60,000 almost in season tickets, that's just, uh, that's where it starts. And Ipte allows that to happen because everybody wants to get that parking pass or those two or three seats, you know, and that's why they give that money. And like you said, you can also just give $100, you know. Ipte, you can be a $100 donor at Ipte and you still get privileges a lot of other people don't get. Bubba, you going to be a member? (laughs) Yeah, I hear you. That way, he comes to one football game or one baseball game, you'll have good parking. Now, uh, <laughs> Will, I was looking at the Tigers' remaining schedule. You know, hey, I'm I'm right here, 30 minutes north of Charlotte. Uh, Pirates uh, play on the road Friday, November 11th at Cincinnati. So uh, I noticed the Tigers are at home against Louisville that weekend. Oh. <laughs> Are you, are you That's what you're saying. You want to come up to Death Valley on that day? You yeah, <laughs> yeah. We need to, need to make it happen. All right, we'll see what we can do, man. I can't make promises, but I'll see what I can do to help you guys I, out. I got you. <laughs> well, you're pretty much uh... No, no. I'll, I'll see what I can do. I can't make promises, but we see if we can try to do something for you. Oh, that would be awesome, Bubba. Yeah. And I love to. In fact, Bubba and I are nerds. We love to go to different. Uh, venues like we're talking about. Let's talk about the game. Let's get back to that. Bubba, I wanted to save some of the interview to break down the game. Uh, Bubba was uh, doing other duties real quick. But uh, let's talk about that matchup. Uh, talk about one of the things that I'm still hearing about, and I want to get your take because you're the expert and not these national talking heads. Uh, what about the quarterback play? We've heard that agnosium last year, this year. I just want to get your take because I'm driving down the road and sometimes I'm like, I'm not even a Clemson fan. They're still winning the game. And I'm like going, you know, it doesn't matter. They're still winning the game, so that's all that matters. And I just mm-hmm. want to get your take on that. Uh, you're talking about with DJ Uyungle? Yeah. yeah. Um, so DJ has – I mean, he's night and day then from last year. And I think what we're seeing, there's a combination of a lot of reasons why. Um, first reason is DJ made the commitment to get better. 
And that's what young people who want to play this game, um, you got to understand that you have to make a commitment to where you sell out and everything you do. And for DJ, you know, he got better in a lot of ways. A, he lost, um, he lost that 30 pounds. Um, I mean, he went from guys 265 last year, literally 265 pounds to 235 pounds this year. He's, um, he, you know, so that's made him quicker. They use him more in the run game, and that's helped a lot of things. Um, you know, last year he had the bum knee because of he was overweight. He had the um, he had a index finger that was broken that he played with the last five games of the season on his throwing hand. I don't know how he threw a football with a broken index finger, but he did. And um, you know, so that kind of played a part of it too. And then his confidence, and his confidence is better for a lot of things. What I just mentioned, he got better. He, you know, he, he went and um, worked on his mechanics and things of that. But also what's helped him is, guys, he's got an offensive line that's in front of him that they started – it's been the same offensive line all seven weeks. Same guys. And they're, they, they're much improved. Last year, he only played with the same offensive line three times. In the first seven games of the season, he played with a different group of offensive linemen every week. Um, so – that did a lot at hurting his confidence where he just didn't feel comfortable in the pocket, didn't trust his offensive line, if you will, as much as probably he would have liked to. But now this year you've seen he's sitting in the pocket. He's going through his progressions. And uh, I think Brandon Streeter did a good job with him, the Clemson's offensive coordinator and quarterback's coach. I think that's helped. I think it's helped that his offensive coordinator is his quarterback's coach because now he's talking all throughout the week to one guy. He's not talking to his quarterback coach and then the offensive coordinator. He's talking to the same guy. And I, to me, I think that helps a lot in communication and getting to understand where my – like Brandon Streeter knows where his quarterback's head's at, right? And that's I think that's helped a lot too. So And then the wide receivers have played much better. They're still not where they were when they had Mike Williams and all those guys, but they're better this year. And, they, and they're making plays. And then they got this kid named Antonio Williams – if you haven't watched him play, you need to watch him play. This kid is special. He's really coming along. Each week he makes more and more plays. He's big in the special teams game. Um, so, you know, he's kind of helped that a lot as well. And then they got those two tight ends. You know, all they are is six foot six. They're like power forwards on the basketball team, you know, out there. They're just going up and catching everything he throws their way because all he's got to do is just throw it and let him go get it. And they're doing it. They're going and getting the ball. Um and the reason they're using the tight ends more is because it goes back to the offensive line. They don't have to keep them in to chip and stuff like that. They can let them go run routes, and and that's been a big difference in this offense. And that very fact of him improving—that's what I thought. I haven't—I'm not going to sit here and lie to you in front of you and say that I've watched every single minute of Clemson football or listened to the game. Mm-hmm. But what I've seen with my non-football eyes, Bubba's the. Bubba's the football player is that he's making improvements. Maybe uh, they're, I don't know what they're expecting. Are they expecting um, somebody like a Trevor Lawrence? That's not the kind of quarterback he is. No, he's more like Taj Boyd. Yeah, exactly. He's not that. I don't know if I'm just like, what do you want from the guy? They're winning. They won 10 football games last year. Um, We'll take that. We've only had at East Carolina two in our whole history. Um, So we'll take that 10 win season. Uh, That's (laughs) a bad year. Like we talked last time with you. Yeah. Uh, but I'm just, I was curious, like I'm going, I'm not a Clemson guy, but I feel like they're being way too hard on a kid that actually, I, what I've seen, and Bubba, you're the quarterback, help me out, but I've seen a lot of improvement from a kid that last year he looked, uh, I hate to use the term, maybe it's too strong to say lost, but you could definitely tell he was very young last year and 
he seems to be a lot more mature this year and improving. And that's what else can you ask for from a kid that you, like you said, he's losing weight. He, he looks like all the, he's worked hard in the off season. That's when you win football games. Yeah, he certainly uh, really had a tremendous transfer transformation. And, um, you know, I guess the game I got to see him play the most this year was that, was that shootout against Wake Forest and Winston-Salem. And uh, he certainly lit it up that day and also uh, is a tremendous threat with his legs. Yeah. And, and by the way, I'm glad you brought that up. But that's where a lot of difference is now is that he is a part of the running game where last year he wasn't. He wasn't at all. And, and the defenses, you know, didn't respect it at all. Well, this year he's kind of forced their hand. Now he's part of the run game. So that – changes everything on how a defense has to attack that Clemson offense. And uh, they run them more with the power run game, where when they ran Deshaun and Trevor, it was more finesse stuff. They would run sweeps outside. They'd run counters, you know, quarterback draws and things like that. They're running the power a lot with DJ because he's not a guy that's going to get out on the edge like, you know, Deshaun Watson would and, and make people miss. He's not that kind of runner, but he can run downhill. He can run downhill like another like, you know, you're almost like a fullback, if you will. And he's six foot five, 235 pounds. He's bigger than most linebackers he has to go against. So you run that guy downhill like they used to do Taj Boyd. And it it's totally sets up third and one now. You know, if you're a defense, you're like, okay, what are they going to do on third and one? Because they can run the quarterback power. They can, they can run Shipley. You know, they can throw out of it. It just really freezes the defense up. Nine times out of ten, they're going to run the quarterback power. But that one or two times they don't, it goes for 20 or 30 yards, and their defense is sitting there like, darn, we should have just played played it safe. You know, so um, so it really has opened a lot of things up with his legs, and that's why I think you see Clemson, you know, improving in offense, especially in the red zone where they're 100% right now in the red zone. <laughs> so they're like 30, like 35 for 35 or some crazy number in the red zone. It's nuts. Now, Will, the final thing I'd have for you is this. Uh, you know, as you've done your homework on this matchup, obviously Syracuse, um, very few people expected them to be 6-0. and You know, looking at their schedule, not an extremely challenging schedule, especially when, yes, they still beat a quality football team, no doubt, with NC State. Mm -hmm. um, but the first game for the Wolfpack, you know, since that injury to Leary, and uh, then, you know, they did beat a fairly solid football team in Purdue uh, there in the Dome. But this is, I mean, far and away the, the most challenging game to date. So, uh, you know, in order for Syracuse to have a shot in this one, you know, what, what do you think is going to have to happen for the Orange? Or do, do you think they, they can uh, beat in this I mean, yeah, Yeah, I mean, can they win? Of course they can because Clemson isn't – Invincible. This isn't uh, 2018 Clemson, where you know they're going to score 63 on you. They're, they're you know um, they're not that kind of offense. They're they're efficient. They're efficient offense, you know, um, and they and they do the right things. However, if you have a bad day, you could lose a game. I mean, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, you know, if Clemson turns the ball over, which they haven't been doing, you know, if they have stupid penalties at times when they shouldn't which they have been doing at times they did that last week to Florida State a few times um if the defense doesn't come to play like it didn't last week in that first and fourth quarter they kind of 
bookend a pretty good performance in the middle, the second, third quarter, where they shut Florida State down, but they bookend it by just playing not good at all in the first and not good at all in the fourth. If they play like that, then yes, Syracuse, if Syracuse comes in and plays its best game and Clemson doesn't play its best game, Syracuse can beat Clemson. I mean, they really can. But if Clemson plays its best game, then Clemson's going to win this game and it, because they're the better team. And then when, you, when you're playing your best and you got the best players, you're going to win. The reason teams get upset, you know, is, is not like something happened to those players or whatever. They, they just didn't play well. And, then, you know, and when you're Clemson, Syracuse is going to come in and give its best because that's their Super Bowl. This is their Super Bowl. They're playing in front of 80,000 people. They won't play in front of a larger crowd all year, right? And Clemson is Clemson, and they got that target on their back, and they want to beat Clemson because they know what it means to beat Clemson for their program. So they're going to come in and give it their all. You know Syracuse is going to come and ball. They are. So Clemson's got to have the mindset they better come and ball. And, you know, uh, LeVon Kirkland, who's my co-host and former Clemson standout and uh, Pittsburgh Steelers standout, um, on the Believe podcast for Clemson football, he says, he says, you know, you got two ways to look at it when you're a player. He says, if one guy's coming in to fight and the other guy's coming in to play a football game, then the guy who's coming in to fight is going to win the game. He says, you got to come in for a fight too. Because if you're just coming in to play a football game and those guys are coming to fight, yeah. then you're going to be in for a long day. And I don't think you can say it any better way than that. Clemson's got to come ready to fight. Florida State last week came to fight, and they punched Clemson in the mouth there in that first quarter, but Clemson responded. They came They came to fight, too, and play a football game. Clemson's got to have that same mentality to beat Syracuse, um, and so we'll see what's going to happen on, on Saturday. And before we let you go, we appreciate your time. As always, we love uh, talking football. Can we ask you one basketball question? What do you think about, obviously, basketball starting very soon? Mm-hmm. Uh, how are things looking there for – uh, Clemson with Coach Burnell. Yeah, they're, um, they're, they're I think they're going to be a pretty good team. Um, they they bring in back PJ Hall. Uh, they're bringing back Chase Hunter. Uh, those are their two best players. Um, you know, um, they they also are bringing back a couple other guys that I think are real good uh, that are going to give them a chance. They had a couple of freshmen last year. They're sophomores now. I think you're going to see those guys continue to progress and help out because they had to play last year because PJ and um, Hunter Tyson's the other one. Uh, the other he's probably their number three best player. Uh, Hunter Tyson got those two guys got hurt at the midpoint of the season last year, so those freshmen had to step in and play, and it's probably going to benefit Brownell because now you bring that experience back um, with them. And so uh, PJ, who's injured, but they think he might be back here if he won't be back right at the start of the season maybe soon after the season starts he uh, he's been having to deal with a foot issue that's nagged him since last year um i think they have a chance i know the acc picked media picked him 11th but let's be honest can we be honest with acc media it's the tar heel tobacco road people it's always going to be north carolina duke and nc state that they're going to pick and pick higher it is what it is they won't admit that but we all know that live outside of the triangle that that's the case. There's a lot of favoritism over there to those three teams. And uh, Wake Forest doesn't get that same favoritism usually. So um, so let's just call it like it is. And so the ACC media always shuns Clemson, and they, they always pick them 10th or 11th. And I'm like, this team is better than 10th and 11th. The guys they're bringing back, P.J. Hall is potential All-American candidate. 
definitely all first team all ACC candidate, and you're going to pick this team to be tenth or eleventh? Come on, not giving Brownell and his crew enough credit for what they do and how good they can be. So I think I think Clemson's probably somewhere between five and eight. I think this year, and if they can do that, I think they can make the NCAA tournament. And Bubba, I know you have uh, one more before we let Will go. Yeah, just kind of work outside outside of Sean Tucker, you know, what's your biggest concern going into this matchup? Wow. Well, first of all, Sean Tucker, the way they use him, you know, he's not being used in the run game as much because they they've had some, you know, issues on the offensive line. So they're not as dominant of a run team as they have been in years past. They're only averaging in games where they don't play Wagner um because <laughs> they ran for 388 on Wagner in games they don't play Wagner they're only averaging 148 yards a game rushing and they're averaging like 3.8 yards per carry so they're not a dominant run team but what they've done is you know Schrader is much improved I mean guys he went from barely completing over 50 percent of his passes last year to where he's near 70 percent now I mean that's a huge leap and part of that is because of the offensive coordinator they got um, the kid, the guy from Virginia who was with Brennan Armstrong last year and all that, well, he came to Syracuse when they had the coaching change at Virginia. He came to Syracuse, and that's one reason why you're seeing Schrader play so well. Um, he's done a tremendous job with him, and because of that, he's he's more, you know, he's got more of a, uh, you know, he wants to run the ball like every coach does, but he's more developed in the passing game as a coordinator. And you're seeing he knows how to use a guy like Sean Tucker when defenses are stacking the boxes and saying, okay, you're not going to run, Sean Tucker ain't beating us with the run, they're they're going different directions with them, and they're using them in the screen game. A lot like how Clemson used Travis Etienne a few years ago, if you think about that. And so he's a big part of their passing game, and they like to get him on the edges and get him in space where he can do some damage. Um, and then they use Garrett in the run game, and he's such a big guy. He's, he's like another guy, 6'4", 230. You know, you get him, and he's like, unlike DJ, he can run in the open field, <laughs> and he and he's fast, um, but he's also big. He's a lot like Josh Allen. He's very athletic, uh, kind of got. And I'm not saying he's Josh Allen. Don't I'm not saying that, guys. Don't I'm just saying as far as his athletic ability goes, he's a lot like a Josh Allen there, um, and so that makes him dangerous in the run game. So that that's a good combination for him. And then on the defensive side, with the exception of the Purdue game, they've been pretty good on the in the back end. And that's allowing them. They play that stack defense a lot like NC State, so they got that three three five. And um, what they what they want to do is they're going to make you drive the ball, but then when you get in the red zone, they make it extremely difficult for you. But they also bring a lot of pressure, a lot of exotic looks, and try to confuse the quarterback. So it's going to be interesting for DJ because they do more exotic stuff than NC State does with this stack defense. And so it's going to be interesting how DJ handles it and the different pressures they're going to bring. They blitz about fifty percent of the time. They're, so they're going to bring pressure from somewhere. How what, what, Does he get the right read? And is he not throwing it to a place where that rover may be sitting and you throw a pick or something like that? So it's going to be interesting to see what they do and see how they try to confuse DJ on, the, on that side of the ball. Will, thank you so much for the time. We obviously want to plug your podcast and obviously Clemson SI. I know that uh, I know that's where people can read your work, right? Yeah, absolutely. You can uh, read me at Clemson SI and all, all the stuff in my – Colleagues got up there, too. Uh, we cover all the ins and outs of the Clemson football, men's basketball, and baseball. So, um, you know, we, 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 we like to cover all the 
sports if you can, if we, if you will. We cover softball too, and they're good. Um, and they've been good the whole time they started. So uh, we do that. And then uh, you can read me at uh, Steeler Will on Twitter. And then, of course, always listen to me and Levon talk Clemson football on uh, the Believe in Clemson football podcast. We'll see how things go for you. Good luck to you guys the rest of the way. In fact, uh, I think when it's all said and done, you'll be in the CFP. We'll see. And mm-hmm. uh, another ACC championship. We'll, but we'll definitely have you back on. Uh, during that time. Appreciate you always coming on and love talking sports and college football with you. Yeah, same here, guys. I always enjoy coming on here and talking ball with y'all. And Bubba, I will look into it, my friend. We'll try to see if we can make it happen. I'm being honest when I say that. So we'll go see what we're going to do, okay? All right. Sounds good, man. All right, guys. Take care. Have a good weekend. All right. Have a good night. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. I appreciate Will very much, uh, Bubba, coming on and uh, Man, that would be awesome. Wouldn't you like to go down there to Death Valley? That would be uh, pretty amazing. Um, yeah, but- a trem- tremendous venue, uh, one of the top in college football, no doubt, and uh, would love to see it in person one day. And by the way, if you did not know, guys uh, and ladies watching and listening, Bubba does an excellent job with our YouTube channel, and we, whenever we're at a different – I was up with the Washington Commanders for preseason – and uh, we, he made a nice video for that. We are always, he and I are like stadium nerds. Whenever we go to, I went to the Charlotte Football Club, if it's soccer. I know a lot of people may be watching this don't like um, that type of football. But uh, whenever we go to a stadium, and Bubba's the best at it, uh, making videos and uh, showing you what a stadium looks like for sure. We'll see if we can uh, work that out. Bubba, I know with Inside Slant, our week eight for our college football preview, hard to believe. I know that you've got uh, another great interview, right? Caught up with Charles Arbuckle. Um, you know, and Charles played tight end for the UCLA Bruins as an ESPN analyst. Also does a variety of other uh, analyst work, um, both on Sirius XM and also um, is part of a or is part of a, I think it's a damn damn. Uh, <laughs> Good sports podcast. I'm trying to recall the name. I think it's the ADSN Network. Um, and I think another damn sports network. There we go. Um, but yeah, Charles and I caught up for about 15 minutes earlier this evening and recorded that interview, primarily focusing on uh, his Bruins going to Alton Stadium to take on the Oregon Ducks in a top 10 matchup. And, uh, and Chip Kelly and the Bruins really have it rolling. And the Ducks have had five straight wins since getting blown out in the season opener against Georgia. So it's going to be interesting to see how they fare against their former coach on Saturday. Uh, but let's go ahead and go to the interview now with Charles Arbuckle. And right now on the inside slant, very excited to be rejoined by ESPN analyst, former UCLA tight end, Charles Arbuckle. Charles, we appreciate your time this evening. Hey, thanks a lot. No doubt. I uh, appreciate your time and coming back on the show. And, uh, you know, with the season the Bruins are having, uh, we've tried to get you on for a few weeks now. We're glad we're finally able to work it out. And, uh, you know, what a what a season for Chip Kelly's ball club. And, you know, they're now headed up to Alton Stadium this weekend for a top 10 matchup with Oregon. Yeah, never an easy place to play. Um, you know, I've, I've watched some things lately that talk, talk about Oxen shows up. I think one area that doesn't, that needs to, is there's another, you know, Washington. UW is a tough place to play as well from a noise perspective and when they're playing well. But I, I think the big thing with UCLA is they've done a couple things pretty well this year. 
uh, offensively, Dorian Thompson Robinson has has been in that system for a long time, and he's doing a really nice job. Zach Charbonnet has really run the ball effectively. And I think the big thing, too, is some of the weapons that have come in, like Jake Bobo, have really made a big difference on the offensive side. But I think defensively, this UCLA team is playing a lot better than they had in the past, especially getting pressure on quarterbacks, stopping the run, doing some things where they're not leaving guys out to dry. And I think that's one of the things that I have to I have to uh, commend and say, you know, much kudos to my former teammate, Ken Norton, who's on that defensive staff. Um, so I think what they finally found is some transfers that have come in and guys that have been able to step in and make plays right away. And I think that's been the biggest thing. And DTR has protected the football. When you play at Oxford Stadium or on the road, that's where UCLA has struggled. But they're plus six this year. They're getting the they're they're getting taking the ball away, and they're doing a much better job of of protecting the football. Yeah, the uh, administration's patience has certainly paid off. You know, this is year five for Chip Kelly. You know, you know his first two years, three and nine, four and eight. Then you had twenty twenty where the Bruins went three and four. But last year, eight and four, six and three in the Pac-12, and then obviously 6-0, 3-0 this year. And um, just talk about that, just the big picture and the way um, the, the patience has paid off for that UCLA program. Yeah, I think the big thing is if you think of those Oregon teams, a lot of people think they throw the ball all over the yard, right? But I think what Chip was doing the first few years is really trying to design an offense that could run the football and have the threat of the quarterback run and then be able to throw it when you needed to. And I think that's the one thing when you look at this team now, they're averaging 200-plus yards rushing or somewhere in that number. And it's been consistent. Every game they played, they want to establish the run. I think the key tomorrow or Saturday when this game takes place is to look and see the rush attempts. If they can continue to do that effectively and not have to throw when they don't want to, I think that's what puts them in, in, in a good spot. And they've had a lot of explosive plays. And, you know, the, the biggest thing I don't think people realize, and it took me a while to kind of think about this for DTR, Dorian Thompson Robinson. He only played quarterback his senior year in high school. He was actually playing receiver. He played other positions, you know, on that, that talented team out of Vegas that he was on. So I think those things you have to consider – He's now in a point where he's played so many plays at the quarterback position that he understands it. He really knows how to play that position well. And I think that's what you look at for this, this ball club. Chip's got a guy that got, has a lot of experience, and he knows the offense inside and out. And I can remember early on when he was just there as a, as a freshman, his first time ever taking a quarterback sneak play was uh, taking the ball from under center was a quarterback sneak, and he had never done that in high school. So, you know, when you when you think about those things, you can see why he's playing at such a high level. It's going to be a tough out at Otson. I don't think they've won there since 2004. Uh, and the Oregon fans, you know, I don't think they still have a lot of love for Chip. And it'll be interesting to see how the Bruins hold up. No doubt some interesting dynamics to this matchup, as you just referenced. But uh, before we talk specifically about the Bruins and Ducks, and uh, what a game that should be. Um, talk more about DTR. The and You've provided a little background there for our viewers, but, um, you know, this is a guy that's completing right at 75% of his passes. Uh, mm -hmm. 
15 touchdowns to two interceptions, having thrown for a little over 15 yards, 1,500 yards, excuse me. And then obviously he um, is really a threat to hurt you with his legs as well. And he's being mentioned uh, right there along with Hendon Hooker from Tennessee as far as a candidate for the Heisman. Yeah, I think he's grown up and he looks like what I see now, what I've seen from week one, is that the game has slowed down for him. You know, a lot, a lot of people talk about that. And what does that mean? It means that you don't rush it. And he used to really rush himself early in games. He was sometimes over athletic. And now you see him really allowing the game to come to him. Uh, and I think that's one reason why he's protected the football better. He knows when to run it. That Washington game was a prime example. When he chose to run the hurdle, I always get a little worried, but he, he's done that in the past. But that one down in the goal line where he goes in, has two defenders and he makes them collide. That's when you know he's seeing a, a 360 degree view of the field. And I think that's what, what you're starting to see with him, just really getting much more comfortable. I think, you know, in talking to a few people last week, in particular, a guy that I went to school with who's now uh, an agent and kind of knows some, he was in the scouting world before as well. He said, it's, this is going to make people rethink what they wrote before the season about DTR. Um, and I think that that is impressive because he's been able to really show that he, he possibly can play at the next level. And he's really done a nice job with his arm. If you watch him now, there's some things that he wasn't doing as an anticipated anticipation thrower that he does a lot better on slants and certain things. And I think part of that is because the game is slowed down. And I watch him now not just reading one, two and then run, but I've seen him go one, two, three, four maybe take off, but he's still looking to throw the ball down the field. Those are the things you look for. I mean, you can see it in Hendon Hooker as well. They're using things to make Hendon Hooker comfortable, but he seems to be much more comfortable and not worried with the pressure that's coming after him. And I think you're seeing that with DTR as well. Moving on to take a look specifically at this matchup with the Oregon Ducks. Uh, Oregon obviously um, was blown out in the season opener against Georgia down in Atlanta, but since then um, they've kind of, you know, they've certainly figured things out. Uh, and as you as you take a look at um, this this uh, Ducks team, you know, what really stands out to you and, you know, what are things that are going to definitely pose significant threats for the Bruins? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. Bo Nix is finally playing like everybody anticipated him to play when he was coming out of school. Um there was I was just listening to something today that said, you know, for the first time he had one of his coaches tell him, hey, don't worry. Dan Lanning, after the Georgia game, said, hey, we're in this together. And it seems to have set him at ease because he's throwing the ball very effectively. He's running it well when he needs to. And they're doing a nice job in the run game and the two-headed monster combination that they have. There's a lot of talk about Zach Charbonnet, but their running back crew is really, really solid as well. Um, and they're making plays in the passing game, which is, was a problem for Bo Nix years that we saw him at Auburn. And I think that's the thing with this defense. They're, they're, their front seven is nasty. I think where you get Oregon is their back end. They're not very good on the back end. They've given up a lot of yards there. And I'm sure UCLA will do some things with window dressing and try to get the run game going because they're going to, like I said, think about this whenever you watch games is the rush attempts. It's not the yards you get, but the attempts. And if you can have a high attempt number with numbers that'll come with five yards a carry, if more, if you'd like, 
that's when you know you're running the ball very effectively. So I, I think we'll see that from this Oregon team. The thing that UCLA will probably have to do is exploit them on the back end because they're just not very good on the back end of their, their secondary uh, unless they play better. You know, these are type of games where you can make a name for yourself. And I think that secondary is going to have to play very, very well because this UCLA team can throw the ball and they have a lot of explosive players outside. I think the one guy that you always have to look for at, at, at Oregon is their middle linebacker, Noah Sewell, who, you know, is Penny Sewell's younger brother. He is a, a fabulous player for them defensively. And they're getting a lot out of their defense, like I said, on the front seven. They will, they will pressure UCLA. And that's where UCLA is going to have to protect Dorian Thompson-Robinson, but also make sure that they take advantage of the, the speed and the, and the strength that uh, Oregon likes to bring from that front seven. Moving on to take a look at you know, some of the other stories nationally. Obviously, you had Alabama get knocked off at Tennessee. Um, the Vols taking down the Crimson Tide for the first time since 2006. And, uh, you know, what is – story Josh Heupel's ball club is and then you, you had Georgia they've shown a little vulnerability and um, they had a close call at Mizzou uh, so you know what are some of the, the stories and you know headlines that you've really uh, been keeping an eye on nationally yeah that Alabama loss was a big one I, I also think I'm looking you know as we as we close up here um, this TCU team keep an eye on that Kansas State TCU game I think that's going to be a real interesting game because you know, Adrian Martinez, you talk about a guy that's had a rebirth. He's really done well in this offense at K-State. And, you know, Sonny Dykes has done an outstanding job with this TCU ball club, Quentin Johnson being one of them. But Max Dugan, another guy that wasn't even supposed to start, I called one of their games earlier this year, and it was they are impressive on offense. So look for that game. Um, you know, I also think this, this will be interesting, Texas and Oklahoma State. I'm curious to watch that one and kind of see how that unfolds. And then lastly, for me, I think, you know, this this Ole Miss team, you know, there, there's a lot of talk about Ole Miss this year. It's going to be interesting to see how they play this weekend. Um, you know, I think Lane has done a really nice job of getting some things going. But, you know, are, are, they, are they up for the challenge this weekend? And lastly, Mississippi State at Bama. Um, you know, I think Bama's it's tough to play them when they lose. But if any, if you want to see anybody play him and may have a chance to to get under his skin, it would be Mike Leach. Um, so yeah, there, there's some there's some games this weekend that, that have a lot of good stuff. I think that Ole Miss team just going back to that one. This LSU ball club is tricky because I don't know which team I'm going to get. The one that's going to fumble punts and kickoffs. Are they going to be the team that can have some explosive plays? It looks like Jaden Daniels is finally getting comfortable. And he and Keyshawn Boutte, who I think Keyshawn Boutte has struggled offensively because of the new system. It looks like Jaden Daniels is also getting more comfortable and making decisions and not trying to just run first like he was doing earlier in the year. Yeah, certainly a tremendous amount of parity. Um, you mentioned that Ole Miss LSU game. The Rebels ranked seventh now. Um, they did have their – a bit of a struggle with Auburn at home last weekend and uh, LSU unranked and yet the Tigers are a two point favorite at home on that. So that just is a reflection of the parity. You've seen that happen a lot this year where you've had a team that's in the top 10 or, you know, in the top 15 um, as a underdog to an unranked team or a team that's uh, barely in the polls. Um, the only other game I would mention is um, the Clemson at, 
or excuse me, Clemson hosting Syracuse at Death Valley. Um, Dino Babers' team has certainly been an unbelievable story this year. Uh, no one would have guessed they would be ranked 14th. Do uh, you think they have a shot against Clemson? You know, I do. I think here, here's the thing. Their defense is really good. Tony White has done a nice job, former Bruin as well. But he's got that rocky long 3-3-5 defense really rolling well. And I think their defense has to be the key to them winning. Clemson does everything they need to do to win ball games, And if you're going to beat them, you've got to find ways, especially <laughs> at Death Valley, um, because they, they just don't they don't know how to lose at home. Uh, but you've got to teach them how to do that. And I think with Syracuse, the thing is keeping the game close early. And it's not really going to be their offense, I think. Uh, I, I think they have to rely on that defense, whether it's Michael Jones, Okachuku, uh, Marlo Wax, but their secondary. Their secondary can hold up because it looks like DJ is playing a lot better. Um, Will Shipley, who's done a really nice job for Clemson as well. They're going to have to stop that that Clemson offense. But I think this defense for Syracuse is going to surprise people if you haven't watched them. I saw them against Wagner, so it was really no competition. But watching film and then understanding what they've done there, they've done a really nice job. And Robert and I and that offensive staff have done a really nice job of making, you know, making those guys play much better on offense, which was struggling, which was surprising for Dino Babers' team. So I think if they can withstand some of the things early, get a fast start, Maybe you get a turnover in special teams or you force DJ into some bad decisions. That's how you win games on the road. The thing with Clemson now, they don't have those explosive playmakers on the outside like they used to. And I think that's where Syracuse – and Syracuse seems – with Dino and Dabo, I saw the last game, in, a game a few years ago, when Dino was able to knock them off in <laughs> in that uh, – and that loud, the, the, the dome, they call it the loud dome or whatever it is. But it was funny. The fans were leaving in the first half. And then when Syracuse came storming back, they had to rush back in the stadium. So I think, you know, when you watch this game, just look for the defense for Syracuse more so than, you know, Sean Tucker on offense for them and Garrett Schrader, who's playing a really, he's playing really well in that offense. Well, Buck, we appreciate the time. Um, before we let you go, you know, tell folks how they can follow your work on social media. And then also, um, I know um, people can listen what SiriusXM, uh, obviously ESPN, and then also another damn sports network. Yeah, at Charles Arbuckle on Twitter. I think at Charles underscore Arbuckle on IG. You know, just uh, every weekend trying to do something and make some things happen, man. So I appreciate you having me on. Appreciate Charles Arbuckle's time. Uh, you know, we've had him on the show a time or two before, you know, talking uh, UCLA football, Pac-12, and just college football at large. And uh, it was good to chat with him again. And who knows, we may have him back before the season's over. No doubt about it. Appreciate him very much. And the inside slant, the week eight college football preview. And I know we're going to talk a few games and get out of here, right? Yeah, one of the games that really intrigues me is um, the one that he brought up. The matchup between K-State and TCU, yeah. obviously uh, much has been made, as it should have been, over the uh, TCU Horn Frogs and the job that Sonny Dykes is doing there. But uh, you take a look at K-State, uh, their only loss uh, came to number 25, Tulane, and uh, the Green Wave are now 6-1, and one, uh, coming off that win over USF and 
it'll be interesting to see how they do uh, hosting the Memphis Tigers. Uh, Memphis is obviously really in need of a win after losing back-to-back heartbreakers to Houston and East Carolina. But um, focusing in on that TCU and K-State matchup a bit, uh, something that I believe Buck brought up, if not, uh, maybe Rini and Goey and I were talking about it. And, um, you know, for, for our viewers and listeners, it was going to be part of this show. But um, since this show's already a little over an hour long, um, I had a little over a 30-minute chat with Rini and Goya, who was coming to us from G Vegas as he flew in a little bit earlier than usual because of the flight he was able to get. But uh, had an excellent conversation with him about ECU, UCF, and then also uh, a lot of other college football topics in the American and nationally. But, uh, yeah, I think K-State, one of the big things that has stood out to me is uh, coming over to Nebraska quarterback in the season that he has had there for the Wildcats. Yeah, that's, that's you know, the great thing about the Big 12 is that Everybody, you know, in the past when you had Lincoln Riley there and Bob Seuss were there, it's like Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. And one of the things I liked about with this year being a college football fan is it's made it exciting because you don't know who's going to win that league. And um, it's going to be interesting to see. TCU with Sonny Dykes has done a great job. And um, I know his dad had coached there. Now he moves over there to, um, from literally, uh, when I say cross town, I mean, it's in the Metroplex here at Dallas. So he goes from SMU and goes to tcu and has done made a nice uh transition there and i know they're happy with him bubba and um the game we've been talking about obviously with uh syracuse and clemson that's a game that i've had uh a curiosity for because clemson is always clemson and syracuse has been one of my top favorite stories uh as far as programs that have we uh, we've talked this year about kansas we talked about ucla um, Duke is better than we thought. I uh, didn't think they would be anywhere near what they are. And you look at a Syracuse. So there's a lot of great programs that are. Uh, and then we were talking about the teams in the Big 12 that we didn't see that coming and on the radar. Certainly. And the um, game that he not mentioned that I talked about a little Charles Arbuckle. You look at the paid college football. This week, Ole Miss was un- really challenged at home by Auburn. And uh, we-, we know what Auburn has been this year, and that they certainly had their share of struggles. But um, that Ole Miss offense, and I'm, I'm in the process. I'm trying to see what that over-under is for the Ole Miss-LSU game. Obviously, LSU had their own high-scoring affair in the swamp uh, with the Florida Gators. But uh, I- I- I'm thinking that I, I would probably be – taking the over in that one um, because this crazy, and you've seen this a lot this year, Dave, you have number seven but LSU, as we know, has been up and down and um, we know what happened when they were playing Tennessee at home and I'm sure that uh, you know, the the betters are probably thinking no way they're going to play poorly two games in a row at Tiger Stadium but they're not ranked, and they're a two-point favorite over number seven Ole Miss. So that just, that just shows you how crazy college football has been this year, um, where, where you see these top 10, top 15 teams that are underdogs 
in games against teams that aren't even ranked. Very exciting. And uh, there's so much parity that I would love, I wish I could see it where, you know, Bubba, there's been this big talk and then you and I haven't had a chance to talk a lot this week about three SEC teams in the playoff. And, and I'm like, how can, you know, it's great to talk about. We we're we're obviously, I guess, at a smaller scale talking heads, but uh, we haven't even gotten to anywhere close to that. Who knows what's going to happen? If there's ever been a year that you better not uh, do the conventional bets and conventional wisdom, it's this year with uh, the parody in college football. Yep. And uh, you know, Jay Cutler, um, James, that is, you know, brings up a, an interesting, interesting nugget on YouTube, and he's talking about Garrett Riley, the brother of Lincoln Riley, uh, being the offensive coordinator for Sonny Dykes and the TCU Horn Frogs. And that's something I thought about, you know, a few weeks back when they really lit up Oklahoma, um, obviously Lincoln's former school. So that was uh, a really interesting storyline. And it, and it certainly still is for um, Pirate Nation as they uh, follow the, the Rileys and everything they're doing. Obviously, Lincoln and USC lost that heartbreaker 43-42 in Salt Lake City a week ago. So it'll be interesting to see if they can run the table and maybe get back into the, the playoff hunt. Yeah, I, I you know, the way they started out, Bubba, I thought that uh, USC had it. But uh, that's why it's not how you start. As they say, it's how you finish. And we're going to finish strong tonight. Uh, sure, you got some more games you want to talk about, my friend? Uh, there were just a couple more I was going to make a quick mention of. I didn't okay. really have a whole lot on either. But uh, Mississippi State, you know, they were – they had finally – you know, they had gotten into the polls. They went on the road to Kentucky, who was in desperate need of a win, coming off the loss to South Carolina. Will Levis was back. And they really did a good job defensively of you know, shutting down or at least slowing down significantly that Mississippi State offense and Will Rogers. So now, you know, Mississippi State's looking to bounce back against a Bama team that's looking to bounce back. And that game is in Tuscaloosa. So uh, I, I don't think that one will go very well for the Bulldogs against the Crimson Tide. But, but we'll see. Uh, they're certainly capable of uh, making it a competitive game, but uh, it will be uh, interesting to see how that one goes. And then within the league, you have number 21 Cincinnati going to Dallas to take on the SMU Mustangs. And um, if SMU is going to be a threat whatsoever in the league, uh, and I say that, um, they don't necessarily have to win this one, but if if they do, rather, this would really solidify uh, them as a threat in the league uh, because they're three and three, but they're one and one in AAC play. So if they are able to take down Cincinnati, then, you know, look out Rhett Lashley and the Mustangs are, uh, are a contender in uh, a strong one at that. But uh, I think Luke Fickle and the Bearcats, uh, it was a bit surprising even with it being on the road that they're just a three point favorite, but I, I think they'll, um, win this one by 10 to 14 points at least. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was thinking. So we're thinking along those lines. I'll tell you another game that I'm looking at, and uh, not on a national scale, but uh, Bubba, because they're an opponent, 
and maybe one down one day down the road another um, the team they're playing will be our opponent. How about the BYU Liberty game? I'm looking at that one. Um, that I think yes. that was thirty. That's a game that uh, nobody is kind of under the radar, but I think that has a chance to be a good game. Mentioned and like you're saying with that game being in Lynchburg, um, you know Liberty had I guess traveled out in the last year or two to Provo, but uh, that will be an interesting matchup and even more so with the Pirates going out there uh, for that Friday night matchup next week. So, uh, so we shall see. Uh, but BYU's in really in need of a victory because they're coming off a couple of losses to Notre Dame. And then also at home by 17 points to the Arkansas Razorbacks. Yeah, and, and Arkansas is a very good football team. Um, but I think the way that we thought preseason that BYU would be a real – I'm not saying it's going to be an easy game in Provo. Don't get me under – don't misunderstand me. But um, can we win that game in Provo being East Carolina? Absolutely. And uh, don't ever think that we – if you think you can't win a game, then there's no point of playing the game. So, yeah, uh, no doubt Pir- about it. The Pirates' next four games are against Big 12 opponents, UCF and BYU, Cincinnati, and then Houston comes to Dowdy Ficklin. So, here's uh, hoping that we play our best football and, you know, are very respectable and, and um, you know, take care of business in these games and, and really send a statement uh, around the nation uh, with some quality performances against these future Big 12 programs? My gut feeling, I'm going to go with two and two, but I hope we're at least three and one. But I but I think two and two is what we're going to go during this. Um, and that would be make us bowl eligible. And then I think the Temple game will be, I, I said eight and four. I hope I'm right, but I, I would lean towards, I think you guys are saying more six and six. I'm going to go seven and five. I'll take, Two out of the four will go 500 against the Big 12 opponents or future Big 12 opponents and then win the Temple game. That's my late-season prediction, <laughs> if you will. So we'll see how it uh, turns out. I I hope uh, it'll turn out in our favor. Yeah, uh, l- let's hope we do what we can do. And we've certainly seen the potential from this team and uh, you know, hoping we'll get some of those guys that have been on the – Injury list a bit uh, over the last few weeks. Get them back and uh, and be able to put our best foot forward here and go to back to back bowls for the first time in uh, in nearly a decade. Oh man, that would be uh, fantastic! In fact, uh, it was such a heartbreaker. And Bubba, we're going to be there. There's a lot of our friends that in Pirate Nation that are going to be there, I know, and a lot of former players that we've heard from um, all over Pirate Nation, they're going to be there. So that'll be a lot of fun. In fact, uh, if you're looking right now, make sure you uh, ask off for some dates in December uh, or at least wait till we're bowl eligible. How about that? Let's not jinx and get too ahead of ourselves. But uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. Two more wins and we'll we'll be there at least uh, for bowl eligibility. So that'll be great. Uh, Bubba, before we go, I know that uh, we're going to promo our shows. And uh, this, of course, is the Inside Slant, a weekly college football preview. If you're just joining us for the first time, we do it every Thursday night. 
and it's live. And then, of course, you can watch it anytime archived. Uh, appreciate everybody so much for their support of the program. And uh, we'll, we'll tell you about our programs. In fact, Monday nights, you can actually watch Absolute Empowerment, former strength and conditioning coach at East Carolina University. And, of course, that is Jeff Connors. And, man, he's had a plethora, amazing guests. Um, he is uh, the all-knowing. He gets deep into the Rolodex. Hey, can you come on the show? Great. And um, we record it, and, of course, we'll put it out on Monday nights. Tuesday is our Pirate Preview as we take a look at the game. Gives you a few days to kind of listen to the show and get ready for the big game. Wednesday, we have Sonny, Semenza, Sonny and Semenza. That's, of course, two letter winners of Matt Semenza. And, of course, when we talk about Sonny, Jay Sunhalter, and they do a great job. The Pirate Breakdown, awesome job. Of course, uh, we have Sutton Young. Appreciate him very much. Uh, this show on Thursday and Friday, Bubba does a great job of Pirates Life for me. And uh, he has a Pirates there. Saturdays, of course, we do it when there's a home game of the stadium sounds. And that's awesome. And, of course, Sunday, don't forget about the Pirate Playback. Brought to you by our good friend. It's his birthday. Happy birthday, Kevin Walker. You're 35 today. I'm just kidding. But uh, LNK Custom Homes, Kev is awesome. We appreciate his support of the program. Give him a call if you're looking to improve your house or maybe build your home. Man, he's award-winning custom-made homes at 336-688-8461. He's based out of Greensboro, the Trot area. But I'm sure if the if you got the money, he's got the time. And again, call him at 336-688-8461. Also, our good friends at Porky's Backyard Barbecue. 805 East Boulevard in Williamston. In fact, it's the holiday season coming up. Call the Holiday Brothers. And that's Terry and Mark Holiday, my dear friends. 252-661-0337. And by the way, we'll let you know next Saturday night from 5 to 7, if you're in the Williamston area, we're going to do a trunk or treat. So come by and myself and the kids and a lot of other kids and families are going to come out to Porky's Backyard Barbecue next Saturday. Again, bring the kids 5 until 7. And we'll have some adult things like a costume contest for the adults after 7 o'clock, more in the 8 o'clock hour, 8 to 11, something like that. And music, karaoke, a lot of fun there. Finally, last but not least, of course, pgxgloves.com. And, you know, Mark Minakazi, he's been with us for the last few years. And Kaz has got some great gloves. You go there for batting gloves, football gloves, golf gloves. He's got great swag, T-shirts, so much more. And get this. And in the promo code, if you put ECU, you get 25% all the products. Again, simply go to pgxgloves.com. Don't take my word for it. Go there and find out how you can – you want to talk about the next level, how you can really rise your game. Just go there and look at the quality merchandise they have uh, for maybe your – maybe it's um, a loved one. The holidays are around the corner and get those uh, gloves at pgxgloves.com. All right, for Will, Charles, Bubba. We're going to get out of here. It's the Inside Slant, a weekly college football preview, and it's right here on the, the Sports Objective on Thursday nights. Good night, everybody, and as always, go Pirates.